Welcome to the PaxX Podcast, now available on iTunes. This is Episode 5 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm great, Mary. Nice to talk to you again. Uh, the week goes by fast. We have some really interesting topics uh, this episode. I think each one of them could be an entire episode by itself. Absolutely. We're, we're trying to squeeze a lot into a short period of time, but so far so good and uh, really pleased uh, with the results. So thank you to everybody who's listening in. Um, before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, Lufthansa Systems Board Connect Wireless In-Flight Entertainment Solution, provides passengers with access to hundreds of hours of movies, TV shows, and music, all available on their own personal electronic devices. Virgin Australia, Lufthansa, and LL have already started rolling out Board Connect or will begin offering it in 2014. Opening new ways for communication and interaction between an airline and its passengers, this technology will have a tremendous impact on the overall travel experience. And on a personal note, I had the opportunity to use Board Connect while on board a Condor Airlines Boeing 767 and can report that I was able to effortlessly stream movies to a PED, so thank you Lufthansa Systems. Now it is my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Joe Brancatelli. He is a well-known airline consultant and columnist, and he is author of the very popular business traveler news service, Joe Sent Me. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? Hello, Mary. Nice to talk to you. Hello, Max. Thanks for having me. Hey, welcome to the show, Joe. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Uh, personally, I love business traveling. I, I never tired of it. I have a feeling that maybe you enjoy it to a certain extent as well. Um, you know, that's always an interesting question. I look at things from the simple fact that, to me, business travel is something I must do. I try to enjoy it while I'm doing it, but if I had the choice of going on business or staying home, I'd stay home. <laughs> uh, and, and to me, I think the difference between me and many business travelers and a lot of people who especially write and create content about business travel is we do it because we have to. Airlines, hotels car rentals. These people are suppliers to us. We have no affinity for them. Um, we use them just like we use a stapler or our laptops or any other tool. Um, you know, I'm not in love with airlines. I am not an aviation geek. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what I do and it's not what I care about. And that's why you're here today, because we obviously have a lot of aviation enthusiasts and aviation geeks on, um, and I think it's important to look at the other side. Um, and you definitely do that in uh, in Joe Sent Me and, and in your columns, uh, frankly. So uh, so we definitely want to go there, Joe. Uh, and of course, uh, one of the first things we're going to talk about is uh, your I don't care list. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that, and as well as some of the other top PaxX news stories that are making headlines this week. Uh, first, while others were creating lists looking ahead at 2014, and including us on the Airplane Geeks podcast, I might add, Joe has released an I don't care list with lots of options about the industry and the passenger experience. Joe, can you tell us about this list and what drove you to create it? Well, I, I have to admit, Max, that this column came about because of my very fledgling uh, involvement with Twitter. I was late to the game, just got on in the last couple of months. Like many bubbles that there seems to be, especially around business travel, all business travel sort of lives in a bubble. It's, it's, all business travel is essentially selfish. We really only care about what affects us. Um, 
And as I was watching Twitter, you know, everybody gets into this, well, isn't this great? Won't this be great? Uh, and I started throwing up things saying, well, okay, I don't care about this. I don't care about that. And then I realized, gee, I was creating a column. And mostly what I don't care about is anything anybody does care about when they're writing about travel. I don't, I, I have to admit, and we start with an up to and including what most people consider the passenger experience. Because to me, I, it sounds distorted to me. But, you know, I don't care about things like top 10 lists of the best airport lounges in the world because that's not the way business travelers think of airport lounges. We don't go from airport to airport looking for a great lounge. We have to fly somewhere. We hope there's a lounge. We hope it's good. But we don't have a list that says, wow, Hong Kong has a great new, you know, lounge and it's 40,000 square feet and the meals are free. So I better go there. That's not how we work. It's also a very subjective. I, one thing that I find so interesting about all of these lists, because there's myriad lists uh, at the end of every year and, and heading into the new year, um, it's so subjective. Well, so so who says it's the top ten? I'm based on what? Um, uh, oftentimes, it's not supported by anything more than the author's opinion, um, which which I think is. Yeah, everyone has their own individual uh, opinion, but uh, but yeah, it's the top ten that they say is the top ten. But one of the th- one of the I don't care uh, points that you make that I find really really interesting, of course, is PaxX related. In two thousand and, and I'm quoting you now in two in 2014, I won't care about any airline executive who tells me he's improving the passenger experience by adding better in-flight Wi-Fi, or new entertainment systems, or food. If he really wants to improve the passenger experience, he'll stop reducing the width of coach seats and cutting the amount of legroom at each chair. That's telling it like it is, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> I, I like to think it's true, and and Mary, the first thing I will say is that I use the word, he won't care, very advisedly. Part Mm. of the problem with the airline business, as opposed to the hotel business, is that this is run by people like me. I I have to admit, I've sadly become these people. Old, white, bald guys. Okay? (laughs) They, as you say, everything is very subjective and very personal. Right. Um... But if you look around at who runs airlines, look in the C-suites especially, yeah. it does not reflect the, not only the people who fly for any reason, but the general population of travelers. So they live in their bubble, and they keep doing things that, that they think are fun. But I look at it as a customer and say, wait a minute, it's a diversion, it's a narcotic. Don't tell me about your Wi-Fi when you're taking another inch away from me from the legroom so that I can open my laptop and use the Wi-Fi. It's insanity, and it especially annoys me when the people who claim to be journalists writing about this buy into that mentality that says, we'll talk about the diversions, we'll talk about the narcotics, we'll talk about the sideshows, and not the basic passenger experience, which is, can I sit in your seat comfortably while I'm flying two or seven or 13 hours? It's definitely an issue. And, of course, you won't get any argument from me with respect to the uh, fact that women are woefully uh, represented um, on on C-level management teams and in the boardroom of airlines. Um, It's something that, you know, we'd love to absolutely see change and hope that there is a sea change in that here in the coming years. Um, But with respect to the seats, this is something that keeps coming up again and again and again. The seats are, as we mentioned last week, they are genuine 
genuinely getting tighter, thinner, smaller. Uh, they're squeezing more and more in. At what point do you, do you believe, Joe, that you've reached that point of, you know, the lowest common denominator? And when will passengers just say, sod it, I'm done. I'm not flying anymore. It's just too uncomfortable. Well, on the first part, I don't think there is a floor. I think we reached the scenario where the world is increasingly full of Ben Baldanza, um, <laughs> who's now again, I, I have no disrespect to Ben. He has a business plan and his business plan is what can I take away and then resell to customers at a, at a profit. Uh, in the meantime, the seats get smaller and smaller. He's at 28. Uh, there are some British Airways seats out there at 29 and have been for many years. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it'll be a surprise if somebody comes in at 27 or 26. Uh, it, it, because there's no rule that says they can't. Except in the UK. UK does have a rule. But you're right. Overall, you're right. They're going to try and squeeze it in closer, for sure. More seats. I, I mean, again, and I've been, now again, I've covered business travel, oh God, for 30 years. Okay, which is which pretty much tracks, sadly, the, the birth of deregulation and my own business mm. career as a journalist. Um, so it's always coach has always gotten worse. Now, the, the B point of your question, Mary, which I think is really interesting, is when will passengers say enough is enough? That also, I think, is in a bubble that people need to pay attention to. Travelers have stopped flying. Uh, I took a look at some numbers that said the FAA at one point in the late 90s was predicting that we'd reach 1 billion passengers by the year 2011. Now, that moment burst out from the airlines, and the airlines' response to that is, we better build more airports then, or more specifically, you better build more airports for us. Um, But now we look back, a 1999 prediction that says we'd reached 1 billion passengers by 2011. Well, in 2011, we had about 800 million passengers. So where did those 20% go? I would suggest to you that for a number of reasons, not just because the seats are getting smaller and the experience is getting worse, we've lost 20% of the people we thought would be flying. So 20% of the people have already spoken with their wallet. Hmm. And, you know, the passenger experience maybe is viewed as being the entire experience, the entire travel experience, not just the in-flight experience. And I think that impacts people's perception of travel and their desire to do that or not. Oh, I agree, Max. I mean, you know, security is unpleasant at best. Um, So that, that drives people away. Cost drives people away. Now, again, I think Americans have a disconnect with what it really costs to travel um, and part of that is what leads the airline executives to say, well, we guess we can lose another inch in leg room or something like that. Um, you can't, I mean, my father, who's now gone, you know, believed that anything above $69 from flight to New York to Orlando was being, he was being ripped off. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't talk to that mentality that says it should cost $69 to fly from the East Coast to Florida or $99 Transcon or $199 to London. You can't, you can't argue with that. But people do react to that and say, well, it's too expensive to fly now. It's unpleasant to fly now. Also, some travel, a lot of business travel simply isn't necessary anymore because we have things like, as we're all talking on voice over Internet, um, you know, you have PDFs and things like that. Years ago, when I was flying regularly between New York and Washington, it looked like 30% of the customers were politicians. I always ended up sitting next to Charlie Rangel. Um, 
and 30% of the customers were, you know, on business, and the other 30% was shuttling paper around. Um, and so you don't need that 30% shuttling paper around anymore. Well, just before we jump into our next topic, I just want to say, you know, when I was right out of high school, 18 years old, I booked a, a ticket to Ireland um, for, for the summer. And I paid uh, about $850 for that ticket. That would have been <clears throat> a long time ago, <laughs> quite a long time ago. And you can still get that deal today. That just speaks volumes, though, about the fact that people aren't willing to pay the true cost of air travel. Uh, again, now the the issue becomes what is a legitimate cost of travel. You know, I think I Twitter tweeted something out the other day, and it was just sort of top of mind. And then I realized there's something there. Airlines are essentially landlords; they they rent you space. So I don't know whether it you can still have that eight hundred and fifty dollar deal, Mary. Right out of high school, my first flight was ninety four dollars round trip. So you so mm-hmm. Trust me, I'm a lot older than you. Um, but if you take away the space, you take away luggage, you take away the meal that no one really liked, but they wanted anyway, uh, you take away boarding, you take away this perk, that perk, we have an apples and oranges problem with talking about fares. Um, but generally, I do think people have a, a in coach have a disconnect with what it should cost to fly. And at the other side, in business class, we're paying way too much. Absolutely. Well, one of those things that uh, passengers look for in the space that they rent these days is in-flight connectivity. And most airlines are charging for Internet access, but I think more and more passengers are looking for that to be a free service. Now, also at the uh, at the same time that this service that they're getting, it's not like the service you get at home, obviously. Uh, it's not the same experience. Now, Mary, you watch this really closely. What do you think is going on here? Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and I have to say, some people did predict this a couple of years ago that, uh, you know, you know we're, we're so accustomed to being able to connect on the ground increasingly for free, free Wi-Fi at the airports, uh, free Wi-Fi at Starbucks and at McDonald's, and that there is this anticipation for free Wi-Fi in flight. The reality is, though, that the systems right now currently cannot support a cabin full of people enjoying a nice, strong connection um, in flight. It, they just cannot. And um, so there's this expectation of free, and yet there's the reality of the systems not being able to support it. Now, Joe, you you follow this also quite closely, and in terms of the model and whether or not you even think it's sustainable, it seems to me. And having talked to some airlines, they are really and truly subsidizing a connectivity for passengers right now. And of course, that ultimately just gets trickled down into the the ticket price. I, I think it's going to be very interesting. And Mary, you, Mary and I, full disclosure, have talked to some degree on this back and forth in emails and, and on Twitter. And scrapped a little on it. And scrapped a little. <laughs> I, I, listen, I again, one of the advantages of age is that I think everything tends to be a miracle. I'm a little bit like Louis C.K. on that. <laughs> uh, I lived in a business travel world before there was connectivity of any kind anywhere. So I have no expectation of it being free. But the people who most want Wi-Fi on planes come from a world where they believe everything should be free. And I'm not necessarily arguing with them. I'm just suggesting it's going to be very interesting. Now, Mary, your defense of, of the price right there as you spoke it was, well, if we, allow, if we made it free, everybody would get on and the systems would crash. Right. That's not what the airlines and GoGo especially are telling you. They're telling you you should pay for this because it's valuable on its own. 
and I go back to, again, 2008, when they finally rolled it out after many years of delay, and I was beginning to think it was, frankly, vaporware. Mm-hmm. Um, they had expectations of what the uptake rate would be, where we're gone from 2008 to now 2014, and their uptake rate is 6%. That indicates to me not that they're doing it they're keeping it low because they need to keep the planes from crashing, but that people have said, we don't want to pay for it. Right. And they, that's uh, going to be a problem going forward for them because someone has to pay. Um, which is why they're doing, you know, when, when they do a sponsorship where a company will sponsor a free service or a reduced price service, they see their numbers actually go way, way, way up. Um, and, uh, and, and that's just reality. I mean, the, the, there's no surprise there. When, when it's free, people use it. And, and, of course, Southwest Airlines this week announced that it is continuing um, to offer free uh, live television with a partnership with Dish. And um, th- they see a tremendous response when they offer <laughs> anything for free. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's very, very interesting one to watch because, obviously, as you say, somebody has to pay for it. And for it to remain a going concern... Uh, these uh, these in-flight connectivity providers actually need to be able to make some money, and airlines as well, for bringing the kit on board and, and increasingly bringing very heavy uh, satellite-supported connectivity onto their international fleets. Um, so it's one thing to have a kind of a cheap and cheerful type solution here on in domestic U.S. over air-to-ground network. It's a whole other uh, you know kettle of fish when you're talking about these radomes and antennas and the hardware associated associated with bringing in-flight connectivity to uh, long-haul aircraft. And they're, they're already running into a, a lot of issues, um, and this is getting into the weeds, of course, but um, the FAA last year strengthened its uh, scrutiny of bird strike testing of antenna radomes, operating out of an immense amount of uh, precaution uh, for safety purposes. They don't want a bird hitting that radome and bits flying into engines, etc. So they're being very, very stringent about that. And these in-flight connectivity providers are actually having to shell out a ton of money to meet these uh, these kind of requirements. So they're, they're getting hit on all ends. The fact that passengers don't want to pay for the service, they want to use the service for free, but they don't want to pay for it. And then on the back end, they're having to meet all of these kind of new regulatory hurdles. Um, financially, it's, it's quite interesting to be watching the market as well. Well, I, I, might, I might say this. First of all, I, I must say this. You used the wonderful term, my term of the year, out of an abundance of caution. That's one of the, that's one of the things I won't care about in 2014. Whenever, <laughs> somebody defend, whenever somebody defends the indefensible with, we did it out of an abundance of caution, <laughs> I immediately shut down and move on to the next topic. Oh, That's, Lord. That said, however, here's my disconnect with in-flight connectivity, especially and especially international. And I've had this discussion with airline executives going back to, oh, my God, the Boeing connection days. Um, if you are sitting in a premium cabin and you are pouring me from a $75 bottle of champagne all the bubbly I want, when you are spending absurd amount for what is essentially leftovers, i.e. in-flight food, no matter how good it might be. It's a leftover. It's cooked two days ago. You'll give me all this for free. You know, a, a, an amenity kit that'll cost you several dollars, um, a, a flatbed seat that is eating up real estate like crazy. All of this is bundled into my eight or $9,000 fare, yet you'll have internet and that's you're charging me for. <laughs> and there, I think, is a difference than the back of the bus where the airlines have gone to a la carte pricing and 
customers will buy or not buy what they want. But the disconnect is up front where the business traveler is paying an immense amount of money and he or she does not understand why they're being charged for this one particular amenity. And the airlines have a good response, of course, which is that, well, you know, if I don't serve you that bottle of wine, it goes back into the inventory. Once I make the Internet available, it's been eaten, whether you use it or not. But I don't think that's how customers look at it. And again, we'll have to we'll have to work this out on both cabins uh, to come up with an answer or there won't be in flight and connectivity uh, going forward. Yeah, because I think in the back of the bus, people are just used to having Wi-Fi free everywhere. I mean, when I drive through the center of town, my cable company has got Wi-Fi set up. My phone company has Wi-Fi set up. It's everywhere, and it's free. And the I think the average flyer doesn't appreciate or doesn't understand the cost, the issues, all these other things that motivate airlines to charge for it. And they just say, well, it's free everywhere else. Why shouldn't it be free here? So would you suggest essentially bundling it into the fare for business and first-class passengers and then so that so that it's has the guise of being free uh, for premium passengers and then having the back of the bus pay for it if they really want it? Well, I, I think you have this real issue with what do you want, what does the customer expect from you, what can you legitimately give them for what you're charging them? And up front, where you are paying a staggering amount of money, okay, you cannot take this one item internet and say this you have to pay for yeah it sticks out it, it sticks out you you just can't tell it you shouldn't be telling a customer who pays eight or nine thousand dollars that this is the item you'll have to pay a la carte for now i accept that in years gone by those of us you know who walked five miles in the snow to get our internet um back in the day this was not a perk it was it was a miracle technological miracle now it is a given at least in the front of the bus, it should be free. In the back of the bus, you're going to run into problems with the customer wants it for free. But given how you charge for airline tickets, you probably can't make it free. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to have to bundle it in. You know, eventually, hotels started giving you free television. Back in the day, e- even before my day, you know, when televisions were new, you paid for rooms that had TVs in them. Well, now you don't think of it. Uh, it would be absurd to charge for TV. So, Again, these things will adjust. If we get to the Internet of everything, they may have to figure out a way to bundle it in to the cost of a ticket for everyone. Very good point. And IoT is definitely something we're going to be talking about in a future episode. We're we're paying very, very close attention to that on the network as well. So that that opens up a whole new realm, Joe, doesn't it, in the world of aviation? It's going to be quite interesting. Um, well, we better get to our next topic here. Um, it is no secret that airlines and corporations have turned to branded media to deliver a lot of their news. So the likes of Airbus and Boeing and and others um, that are producing videos and, and news stories, quote unquote, and blogs um, about what they're doing. But is there now a lack of transparency in the market? Are companies and corporations managing the message too much? Uh, Max, what, what, what do you think? What, what are you seeing in the market right now? Well, I can understand the desire to, to manage or to micromanage the message, um, keep all of their you know, representatives in the media on topic and uh, on message and all that. But I think that we're, we're starting, we being the consumer, is starting to lose uh, something in that regard. 
And one thing that I know you've been talking about lately, Mary, is uh, how this applies to uh, interiors components, seats and the like. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think that one area of the industry that does not have enough transparency is aircraft interiors. So, for example, a couple years ago, we learned that a Japanese firm, Koido Industries, had falsified test data on 150,000 seats in the world fleet. Now, when Asiana 214 crash occurred last year, a lot of us journalists were scrambling to find out if the seats in that aircraft um, were Koido seats. And it was very, very, very difficult to get confirmation of who even made the seats, who made the slides. Nobody wanted to talk. And so to me, this area, this part of the industry, it's very cloak and daggers. And there's reasons for that, of course. And airlines don't want to talk about who they're using. And there's there's differentiation in the cabin and their partners. But at the end of the day, I worry about it from a safety standpoint. Shouldn't there be more transparency about interiors, especially when there's an accident? Because the reality is, if that Asiana aircraft was carrying Coedo seats um, and that you know had not been tested correctly, it would call into question the survivability factor in that crash. Joe, do, do you pay any attention to th- this part of the industry in this regard at all? I would say a li- certainly less than you do, Mary, because of. Uh, Again, I I am the average business. I'm the average Joe business traveler, as well as someone who writes about it. I don't think about who made my seat when I sit in it or how it was tested, because I am buying a supply from an airline and I hold the airline responsible. Right. I don't. I don't. Now, again, that does not negate anything you said, and goes to Max's larger point about whether we as consumers are being overwhelmed with a branded message. And that, I think, goes back to our business. You know, I think the only business that's less well-run than the airlines is the media business. <laughs> I mean, I, I spend a disproportionate amount of my life consulting with, air, with magazines and newspapers and increasingly, obviously, websites. And their goal is to cut costs. You don't hear anyone say to me, boy, I really want to get my revenue up so that I can hire three more investigative reporters. <laughs> um, it, it just doesn't happen. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, as I said, I'm so old, I went from being a reporter to being an editor to being environment, and now I'm content. Right. Um, this is a real problem. I, I don't have an issue with any airline, any hotel, any company saying, we're going to try and push our message, we're going to stay on our message. It's up to us as journalists, those of us who are journalists, to push back. And to bring it full circle, we go back to, you know, the seating issue. If you're going to, when American Airlines back in 2012 introduced the interior for their 300 series plane, you know, everybody oohed and odd in the media about, well, look at that. Americans really getting aggressive mm-hmm. with, their, with their first class product and their business class product. And no one paid attention to the fact that they squeezed an extra seat back in coach. <laughs> I mean, I literally was the only one who wrote it when it came out. An American, of course, went bananas. I said, well, how dare you focus on that? I'm saying, well, I'm sorry. It's part of the story. Oh, but so, so the big problem is not just that the suppliers in any business, not just airlines, want to control the message, they really hate it and try to strike back at you if you don't stay on message with them. That's where we have an issue because too many people rely on the airlines in, in aviation media for their information and they're afraid to just tell it like it is because they're afraid of not getting cooperation. 
Or, or getting a call. Yeah, absolutely. Or getting a call back. Um, I am finding myself rather unpopular, unpopular these days. Um, because, because I'm making those calls and asking those questions and the amount of people that will say to me, well, we don't want to talk about this. And, <laughs> you know, um, Air Canada, for example, um, you know, there's, they've come under fire, um, on social media and on various forums for, for its, uh, ultra high density, triple seven, three hundred ER. And they're also uh, obviously doing high density on, on the new seven eight sevens. Um, the comments are pretty scathing about passengers are like, my God, you know, please don't do this to us, Air Canada. And yet, um, you know, Air Canada actually just this week said, you know, the, the benefit from a chasm standpoint to the airline is just so terrific for the airline that, you know, they're not making any apologies for, for 10 abreast on those 777s, just like American doesn't and Emirates and, and a number of other airlines. But, you know, again, and we've talked about this, at what point, you know, is it getting to, to be unhealthy even to be flying like that for a 12-hour flight? Well, the health factor is intensely interesting. I think the only way you're going to get around that is by government regulation. I've always said, you know, we have rules for how much space cattle must get when you're transporting them. We have no such rule for passengers. <sighs> I mean, that's not a joke. It is a joke line, uh, but it is also the truth. Right. We have federal standards for how much space a head of cattle must get when they're being transported. No such thing for a passenger on an airline. But I would, I would then turn it back to the airlines. This race to the bottom, you know, again, led happily and and grandly by Ben Baldanza here and Tony O'Leary at Ryanair. Who's going to lose in the long run besides the passenger? The legacy carriers, as we call them, will always lose because they cannot. There's always going to be someone who can charge less by being a startup. Okay, I give you Norwegian, Mm -hmm. um, you know, who who will take full advantage of all the domiciling rules and all the all the inside baseball stuff that most passengers don't know about, there's always someone who'll charge less for giving you less. If the airlines that claim they have a brand, a quality brand, follow them down that path, they lose. This is where airlines become department stores. Before I got into covering business travel, I covered retail. And I was there at the end of the great department stores. And their mistake was not trying to stay great department stores. They decided they would become Kmart. This is even before Walmart. Okay, so they Mm -hmm. followed Walmart down the big store, you know, big box discount approach, and they lost. And then Kmart was undercut by Walmart. So there's always a race to the bottom. I think Apple should have proven to people that there are ways to stay at the top and convince people that you're a better product, even if you're not. (laughs) Well, fingers crossed on all of that, Joe. Fingers crossed. Well, we're rapidly, rapidly coming to a close here, but we want to thank our listeners and remember, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at Runway Girl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. We'd love if you could join in the conversation. And that's whether you're uh, experiencing uh, something yourselves or you see something that might change the industry. Please tweet it, uh, share it, and, and let's talk. Um, I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, Lufthansa Systems, and I'd like to thank Joe Brancatelli for being our guest. Joe, where can listeners find you at? Well, thank you for having me first, Max, Mary. Um, Joe sent me as a subscription-only website, uh, but you can also read my column at bizjournals.com. I write the C2B business travel column. 
Very good. Thank you again, Joe. And all of you, join us again next week as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.